Southern Soul Livestream is a weekly talk show and music hangout where the hosts learn your name and just might remind you of a favorite relative. We spotlight fascinating people, discuss current events, and pay special attention to lifting up generations. So if you want to know more, learn more, be more, or just be, Southern Soul Livestream is the place for you. Join us every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Just log on, kick back, and experience the eclectic vibe. Check us out at soullivestream.com. Hello, hello. Good evening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here this evening. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I'm excited too. As I was thinking about this show, I was thinking like, man, there is so much to talk about. And I know when we met earlier, I just got excited because I began to feel how passionate you are about the topic. And what I really, really love is how down the earth you are. And I was like, if we're going to talk about the future of nursing, not only the future of nursing, but what we've seen happen over the last two years that led us to this conversation. So I just want to thank you for being here. So if you don't mind just telling, you know, the audience a quick, you know, something about yourself and who you are and, you know, just, you know, give us your background. Thanks so much, uh, Calvin. Thank you for the invitation. I'm really excited to be here. I enjoyed the icebreaker. So it's been really nice to get a chance to hear about your show. Um, as you heard, I'm Lapina Sharp McHenry, and I actually was born in Chicago, Illinois. Grew up in a small southwest Arkansas town, Magnolia. Uh, my parents uh, that were originally from that area. My dad actually was a pastor. My mother was a cosmetologist, and uh, they were small business owners and always really advocated for education for their children. They didn't have the opportunity to go to college, but they made many sacrifices in order to ensure that I had the opportunity, that my sister had the opportunity to go to college, which I'm really forever grateful that they uh, really felt that that was important and they were willing to make the sacrifices for that to happen. And as far as nursing, you know, I've been in this profession for 40 years now. I've had an opportunity to experience so many different uh, evolutions within the profession uh, to see how things were when I first started and now to see how things are today. It's a really a completely different world for nurses. But how I became interested in nursing is really somewhat fascinating. My mother actually always wanted to be a nurse and she never had the opportunity to actually go to school to become a nurse. But something that really crystallized her respect for nurses was in 1958 while she was living in Chicago, her mother became ill. She flew back to Arkansas in order to try to get her mother to some a medical facility and as you can imagine, in 1958, small, very rural town is where my grandmother lived. Being able to get a black person to a major health center was a monumental task. And so she was able to enlist the help of some people that lived in a town nearby to help her to get her mother to the medical center, which was several hours away. And unfortunately, my grandmother passed away due to complications of diabetes. But what my mother saw in that hospital of how the nurses cared for her mother had a lasting impact on her. 
So from being a very little girl, my mother would always say to me, I really want you to be a nurse when you grow up. And so my mother, I have to say, did a fantastic job of convincing me of that. Because when I graduated from high school, when people asked me, what was I going to be? The only thing I thought of was a nurse. And so here I am today, many, many years later, living out that reality that my mother didn't have a chance to live out. But uh, she had a chance to see it come to fruition. And she was with us until about three years ago. And uh, so she had an opportunity to actually see what she had wanted for herself be lived out through me. So I have three children and I noticed my daughter is somewhere on here tonight. I have two sons and a daughter and I'm married to Gary and I saw him on here as well. So that's a little bit about my background and how I got into nursing. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That is an awesome story and a testimony. You know, it's not often that we can step into a career and have such a strong testimony and calling. So, you know, awesome for your mom being able to, you know, inspire you at such a young age. Now, during the time of COVID, right, we've seen lots of stuff happen. It's been crazy, right? What do you think are the biggest challenges facing nurses today? Well, you know, as I think about what has transpired over the last 18 months, I think one of the biggest things that nurses are facing right now that are working in hospitals and clinics across the country is burnout. People are tired. Uh, They are exhausted. Uh, They have had to encounter long hours. They've had to encounter being short-staffed. They've had to endure workplace violence. You know, most people don't realize it, but that's increasing even in healthcare facilities. And so when you think about uh, the the death that they are continually faced with on a day-to-day basis and caring for patients that may not get better and coupling that with long hours and being short-staffed, you know, it really impacts their well-being. Uh, and just their mental well-being. So that has really been a struggle. And as you watch the news, you've seen a lot of the heroic stories of what nurses have done, you know, staying away from their family in order to isolate, to try to not to cause any health challenges for their families for long periods of time. So, you know, nurses are the ones that's been doing those things, as well as other healthcare professionals. But that has been, I think, the biggest challenge. Wow. You know, I hadn't thought about that burnout. And but I can only imagine. Right. I mean, I've heard stories of doctors who are administrative who are being called back. Right. To, hey, step away from the desk. It's time to go see patients. But I never even considered the concept of burnout was happening. Has this I mean, how has it impacted nurses? I mean, are we seeing a shortage of nurses or we seeing people quit? I mean, what's happening, you know, in the field right now? Well, yes and yes. We are seeing people leaving, Uh, but just to go back to what you said a moment ago about doctors coming out of their administrative roles, we've had boards of nursing across country to send out pleas for nurses that were retired to come back into the workforce during COVID because we've needed these nurses because think about it. If these are your frontline workers and if they're becoming ill, someone has to replace them. And so you've even had nurses coming out of retirement to come back into the the workforce. And that in and of itself has been 
really challenging for nurses. But the burnout has been a, a major issue. And repeat your last question for me again, Calvin. Well, I, I think you addressed it. I was wondering, you know, being where you are, trying to see the nuances, right? You've added, hey, what's happening is there's a shortage, there's a burnout, there's people coming out of retirement, in addition to um, doctors who are stepping away from administrative challenges. So I think it's obvious that it's some tough time out there for nurses. You know, um, tell me this. What about the future, right? Looking forward over the next 10 years, I think a lot, especially in the black community, we've learned a lot over the last two years. Things we took for granted, things that we thought would never change. We've seen those drastically change. What do you see happening, you know, with nursing over the next 10 years based on what we've recently experienced? Well, I think that you're going to see uh, nursing having a more of an equity and health equity lens. Uh, as you think about how we educate our nursing students in health professional programs, I think you're going to see more of an emphasis of trying to diversify the profession. You know, there's been a lot of talk about that for a lot of years, but I think now you're going to see where there's going to be a much greater momentum behind that and really trying to diversify the actual workforce. Uh, but there's challenges that goes along with that, Calvin. You know, one of the biggest challenges that I see in higher education is our young people that are coming from high schools all across the country and not having been sufficiently prepared for what they're going to encounter once they get onto our campuses. You know, uh, you know, seeing students to come to us that may have only taken the ACT once. And of course, now there's many schools that that's test optional. They're not even utilizing uh, the ACT or the uh, SAT scores as a part of an admission process. But just seeing that the background that they've had in their high schools really has done them a disservice. And that's one of the things that I would really urge, you know, parents, or individuals that are mentoring young people that are wanting to move into health professions is that we need to really hold these high school counselors accountable for really advising and directing our young people into the right coursework in order to properly prepare them for a science-based uh, health profession. And that is one of the biggest challenges because what happens is, is that they may get to us in higher education, but then trying to ensure that the right support services are there in order to be able to help them to matriculate through those programs is a really a major challenge. Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit because, you know, a lot has changed, right? You know, there's there's new demand, there's new skills, but I'm trying to figure out what happened, right? Um, are we talking about STEM skills? Are we talking about, you know, different type of people going into nursing? I'm curious that you know, something had to happen, you know, assuming that, you know, you have kids showing up and it seems like they're just not prepared, right? Or is it because they're not, you know, STEM prepared or the education has changed? I mean, what's your take? You know, I think it's a little bit of both, Calvin. Hmm. Uh, yeah, those STEM uh, areas are critical. You know, the math, the sciences, the chemistries, the biologies, those are all important, but equally so is the English and, and the history and, and the other subjects matters are, are equally important because one of the big uh, components of nursing is the ability to be able to communicate, 
and engage with your patients and be able to develop a rapport. So really being able to have really good communication skills is critical. That, that's a big component of really being able to work with patients. So the STEM courses are definitely important, but so are the other um, liberal arts types of topics and, and subject matter are equally important. So I think there's a couple of things that have changed. I think that in, in many high schools, um, when I look at the coursework that students are completing, uh, and I look at how they have been evaluated, um, but then when they step into our setting, they're not able to really demonstrate the proficiency and the skills that they should have acquired at the high school level. And so we are working really uh, hard to develop programs to be able to support these students and provide the tutoring that they might need uh, in order to facilitate their learning uh, at this level. Yeah, you know, that, that's an awesome story. Thanks for sharing. You know, I, I'm a fan of education and I know you are too, because I mean, your education, you could have stopped. T tell us about your education a little bit, because I know you kind of, uh, we, we went fast, but, you know, when I saw your background, I'm like, wow, that's kind of unique. I mean, you could have stopped, but you kept going. So, because yeah. I, I want to get into education, but tell us about, you know, I think you started and then you went to the master's, but you kept going. Tell us about that, if you don't mind. You know, I, I started out with, at, with an associate degree and in nursing, and, and the reason why I started there is because... That was the only thing that was available to me in the small town where I live, Calvin. And so with parents that had never gone to college, they were not familiar with the higher education scene. And so they really wanted me to take advantage of what was available to me locally, which I did. And I went uh, to school there, completed uh, that associate degree at the time, and a bachelor's degree was not available to me in my area. But one of the things that I developed was such a love for learning and a love to be able to care for people and to be able to impact people's lives at some of their most vulnerable moments, but also at some of their uh, happiest and, and saddest moments. And so, you know, as time went on, I got married, I relocated to the northern part of the state. Uh, my husband was going back to graduate school and I was working. And when I got there, I found out that the University of Arkansas there was going to be starting a bachelor's of science degree in nursing. And uh, initially, I hadn't planned to go, but I was actually working. You know, it's always interesting. You never know who's going to cross your path. And one day, the director of that program was in our hospital because I had been doing some clinicals for them, for their students at our hospital. And she said to me, have you ever thought about teaching? And I said, you know, that's interesting. I said, I never thought about teaching. She said, you should think about it. She's because our students just love you is what she said. And so I just kind of banked that in the back of my mind and went about my business. And, and about a year later, she came back to me that same hospital and asked me that same question again. She said, have you ever thought about teaching? And I said, not really. She said, you should think about it. And if you decide you want to do it, she said, I'd like for you to come talk to me. She said, by the way, we're about to start our bachelor's of science degree in nursing program. She said, I would love for you to be in the first class. So guess what? 
I jumped into that first class and went back and got my bachelor's degree. And while I was in that program, the same woman, which was the director of the program, came to me and she said, Lapina, you've been such a great student. She said, and I would love for you to come work for us. She said, and I would be willing to support you and for us to pay for you to go back and get your master's degree if you would be able to do that. How can you turn that down? You know, and I said to her, of course, I'd be willing to do that. And so I, I went to work for the University of Arkansas. They supported my master's degree uh, from the University of Oklahoma. Uh, I, I couldn't have done it any other way because at that time, I was in school with two children under six and pregnant with a third, going to classes four nights a week and working four days a week. That's how wow. determined I was to get an education. Wow. And so um, when I completed that bachelor's degree, I started my master's right away with a six-month-old baby. That's the daughter that's on this call right now. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I had a lady at my church that traveled with me two and a half hours, two times a week to the University of Oklahoma to keep my baby while I went to class. So wow. that was the kind of system that I had. And and so once I completed that master's degree, I continued to work for the University of Arkansas. And uh, but then, you know, I had three children. And as the people on this call know, you know, when children start to grow up, you become focused on them and their activities. And I always wanted to go back to school. But I decided that really I needed to wait until that last child got out of high school. So okay. as soon as my daughter got out of high school, I, uh, I had another providential event. I was attending a meeting uh, at a nearby university and met the consultant that was actually speaking at that event. And she said to me, well, I was there really to answer questions um, based on uh, a request that they had made. I had to leave early. I got up to leave. The speaker got up and followed me to the door and just said, it was so nice to meet you. Glad you were here. She said, you know, I want to be in contact with you. And I said, okay. Two weeks later, she reached out to me. She said, have you ever thought about going back and getting your doctorate? Well, I, said, yeah, I thought about it. And she included a link in the email. And she said, I'd like for you to check out this school. She said, because I, this, I think this will be a good fit for you. And so I went, I looked at the school and I thought, wow, good school. I thought this would be a great opportunity. But then I looked at all the deadlines. I thought all the deadlines had passed, so it wasn't going to happen for me this year. And I thanked her, sent her back an email, thanked her. And Calvin, she sent this email back to me. I'll never forget it. She said, the deadline doesn't matter. She said, I'm the wow. provost at that university. Go ahead and submit your material. Talk about how God works that out. I mean, that was wow. And so I did that and uh, got into that doctorate program and completed that in 2014. So, you know, it's just been amazing how those people have crossed my path. So I always tell people, don't ever underestimate the people that come across your path because you never know exactly what they're going to be able to speak into your life. And um, you never know what's going to happen as a result of that. And, you know, most people would have said, oh, my gosh, these were two white women. Why would you respond to them? Well, my... I firmly believe God can use anybody. It doesn't matter who they are. If it's something that he wants you to do, he can use anyone to bring that about. And I have definitely seen that play out in my life. 
what a blessing, what a calling. Yeah. As it said, the good Lord said, in your gifts shall make room for you. I love that story and I love the path that is created for you because it's, you know, I, I love the challenges. I love the things that you've seen and I love the perseverance. I love how, you know, family by itself, you know, the dunkers say, hey, that's harder than two jobs, right? So you have kids, you have families, you have support, and then you have these people pouring into your life and you're being obedient. You know, that's a good thing, right? Because there's a lot being said, you know, people can run, they can whatever, they can wander in the wilderness, but I like what you did. I, I appreciate you. Thank you for sharing that story. Now, I didn't always understand this next topic of barriers and health equity. It was confusing to me, right? Did a show on maternity um, mortality rate, right, for African-American women. And I just couldn't. And it was like, hey, we're focused on equity, equity, equity. And I was still confused until someone explained to me. They're like, well, you realize that some people look at these patients and they make a decision about them based on the way they look. I said, they make a health decision? Simply because the way you look? I said, oh, if people are making health decisions simply because of the way you look, then that can be a problem. Do you mind telling us what are some barriers in health equity and what do you see the future and the challenges and things that um, you're seeing? You know, as a role of dean, you're seeing the next generation of students. You're seeing recruiting. You're seeing a lot. Tell us about um, health equity in the field of nursing. What are you seeing and what are you hoping for? Well, you know, unfortunately, we don't have a real good history in this country when it comes to health equity. Uh, and and there's so many examples of that in, in our history. But one of the things, uh, one of the barriers is just the implicit bias that exists among the healthcare providers. And, and I, I hate to always use the word all because it's never inclusive of all, but in many. And, uh, and because of that, you know, what you learn, unfortunately, does occur that people decisions are made uh, because of people's age. People decisions are made based on how people look. You know, I can just give you one example. I never will forget. I was working in a hospital. I was a head nurse in a hospital and a patient had coded and went into respiratory arrest. And I had called a code and had started CPR. We had everything in the room working with the patient. The doctor arrived, and you know what his first question was? How old is this patient? And hmm. I looked at him, and I said, it doesn't matter how old this patient is. I said, act like it's your mother. That's what I said to the doctor. And wow. so we proceeded with the code. Unfortunately, the patient didn't survive. But what that taught me at that moment was how many other people have they have been in code situations where when the doctor arrived, he made a determination, well, you know, what, what how does that person or what health problems does that person have and made a determination as to whether or not the code should go or not go. Well, in this case, I had already started the code, so it, it wasn't a matter of deciding to stop now. But unfortunately, those things do occur uh, that, that's one barrier to, to health equity. Another barrier is access. Everyone doesn't have access to the same type of health care based on maybe where they live. 
It may be based on the fact they don't have insurance, or it may be the fact of the type of insurance they have limits them to certain types of services. Uh, and so, and the other piece of that is you look at it from an economic perspective. Everyone just can't decide that they're going to go to the doctor if they don't have insurance. So that's a, that's a, that's another inequity. You look at people from all different socioeconomic classes, and people have to make decisions. I've had patients have to make a decision: Do I pay the light bill, or do I get my prescription filled? Do I buy groceries, or do I? pay to go to the doctor because they may not have insurance. So those are just some of the barriers to health equity just beyond the provider itself is the access, the insurance, or the lack thereof in order to be able to access those types of services. The other barrier is knowledge. My parents, if I had not been a nurse in my family, my parents would not have gotten the type of health care that they got throughout their life. But because I had that knowledge and experience, I was able to advocate for them. Unfortunately, everyone doesn't have someone to advocate for them in that way. I mean, I was at every doctor's appointment. If I was not there physically, I was on the phone. And the doctor knew he was going to have to run it by me before it was going to happen for my parents. Everybody didn't have that. Yeah. Yeah, th- those are some definitely some big challenges. Uh, I-, I like the way <laughs> you spoke with that doctor, and I'm pretty sure that day <laughs> he knew to keep an eye out when the next time he asked that question. I mean, the, the simple accountability for someone to just hold you accountable mm-hmm. to doing what he probably was already doing. So a, le- a few um, last questions. You know, I would like to kind of get insight into your work, right? Um, you work as a dean. You get to see, you know, nursing students, different types of students. What are some things that you guys are doing um, to kind of help this next generation of students that are, as you say, may not be prepared or may be juggling, you know, family and things like that? Can you help us understand, you know, you know, what opportunities are there and what questions? Because, you know, we have parents listening who may have students who are getting ready to go, parents who may feel that their student is not necessarily ready, but, you know, there's help, there's hope out there. What are some things that parents and the students um, of tomorrow can look forward to? Absolutely. And, you know, there's several things that are that are happening in my college, uh, the College of Natural Behavior and Health Sciences. The School of Nursing is just one program that I have in my college. I also have a physical therapy program, chemistry, biology, physics, uh, behavior analysis, nutrition, psychology, health professions, education. And so as we are looking at recruiting a diverse population of students to our campus, one of the things that we realize is that we really have to invest in mentoring types of programs that are going to help assist these students. And one of those programs, we call it the Dotson Bridge Program, and it is dedicated to our Alana students, specifically those that are majoring in nursing. And when those students are admitted into our program as freshmen, they are assigned a mentor that follows them throughout their entire four years of the university experience. And those mentors are actually practitioners that are working out in the field. Oh, wow. 
that work with these students. They meet with them on a regular basis. They meet with them in groups. They meet with them in, 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 as individuals. We have professional development training classes, test-taking classes, study skills, you know, just life management types of programs for these students to really to help them to navigate this higher education experience. And when that program started a little over 10 years ago, our students of color were failing out of the nursing program. They were not passing the courses and they weren't passing the licensure exam. Mm -hmm. Now they're passing the licensure exam above a 97%. Our attrition rate is like down to 1%. I mean, the students are passing their courses because they're getting that um, the mentor is one to three. So each mentor has three students. Wow. Uh, they're getting that type of interaction. And I have two really great faculty that oversee that program. And, um, and I know that there are many other programs like that around the country. We're not the only one. And we just uh, published an article about this program because we really want people to know about it, where they can replicate it even at their own universities. But you know what? It does require financial investment. And we were fortunate to have a donor that was willing to invest that awesome. multi-million dollar uh, gift in order to make that happen. But those are the types of things that, that are going to be needed because I don't think we're going to be able to change our educational system, you know, elementary, middle school, and high school. Um, I, I think that ship has sailed. Yeah. I think that ship has sailed. And I'm not certain what it's going to take to recover that. Um, and every child is not able to go to a private or a charter school, although those are very good. And those are becoming much more available to students publicly without a cost. So those are growing. But that's one of the things that, that we are doing. And, and we're exploring other ways um, and just really kind of a, a la carte list of services for these students to help them to really navigate their educational experience. Um, that's an awesome story. And there was been a request for um, that program. Can you say that program again? Because we want to get that so we can share it yeah, in the chat. It's, it's the Dotson Bridge Program. The Dotson Bridge Program. We're definitely going to get that link and share it. And we'll also share it um, um, in the post-production as well. So awesome. Yeah, Mika is pretty fast. She got it. So she's been sharing it. And we'll make sure we send that out as well. So let's transition. So thank you um, tonight, Dr. Henry Shark, for just essentially being here and chatting. What we want to do is some Q&A and some discussion. And we have a different type of audience, right? We have the radio listeners and we have the TikTok listeners. The TikTok listeners, they always lit. But to get them warmed up, you know, to ask questions, um, I just want to kind of do an open question for the audience. What question do you have about the future of nursing? Let's see, we got in the background, we got Rudy, my old um, high school football mate. I see Gia's on the line. Gia's been both a teacher and a nurse. And open form. What question do you guys have about the future of nursing? Well, do you, do you, can we, it's, the only question that I really had is, is uh, as far as answering what that was, um, or on that, that basis, what is, uh, it does, uh, what does the government do to make things worse? And what can they do to make it better? Is it going to get better in the future? with government regulations or 
is it going to make is the government going to is regulations going to make it harder to, for for um, people to become a nurse? Because we don't need it to make it to be harder. Rudy, that's a really good question. Let me tell you what the government can do to make it better. They are funding medical students to go all the way through medical schools, but they're not funding nurses. So they should be funding nurses exactly the way they are funding medical students to go to medical school. If that was happening, we would be able to really diversify the population uh, of the workforce of nurses much more quickly than we're having to do right now. But it really is a cost issue. It is costly to go to nursing school. And it's a costly program to operate. And so unless students are getting scholarships, grants of some sort, uh, it's gonna be expensive. It's gonna be an investment for them to be able to go. So one thing the government can do is decide that they're gonna fund nurses the way they do doctors through, you know, our, um, through CMS. Okay, then a, a follow-up real quick. It was not exactly a question, but I, I, I do have to agree with you that funding for school is, um, is, is limited for nursing because when I was going to school, um, I mean, while we were talking about in the mid-90s, there was no, that, that field did not have financial aid through, you know, through the FAFSA. That was not available because it was considered technical and it was considered not non-essential, I guess. But uh, I know that maybe there's and it, there still may be limited financial aid. Is that is that true uh, through through the government? Right, not currently. Now, our most almost I would say ninety five percent of my nursing students are receiving some type of financial aid package. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's so good to hear. Financial yeah. aid is available. But here's the thing you have to remember when you hear people say financial aid. You need to ask the question, how much of that is a student loan? Yeah, student loan. Yeah. 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 How much to understand the language. They need to understand yeah, the language. Say financial aid. That did not mean yeah. free. Free. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. We got some more questions in the chat. Thank you, Brother Rudy. Um, question, um, Ren, that's South Carolina Ren. Um, what role does technology play in the future of nursing? Oh, my goodness. That's a big one. That's, that's uh, help us out there. Huge. That is going to be a huge role. Thank you so much for that question. And, and let me just tell you how huge it's going to be. Um, when I was in Oklahoma at Oklahoma Baptist University, I designed a um, 32,000 square foot um, College of Nursing building that had a 24 bed simulation lab in it. I mean, it was a world class state of the art uh, facility in the use of technology in simulation. Well, now here in Boston, I'm in the process now of designing a 66,000 square foot science center. And in that, we're going to have a 30 bed simulation center. And within that simulation center, not only are we going to have simulators that are so human-like, their eyes blink, they talk to you, their pupils dilate, but we're also going to take it to the next level with virtual and augmented reality. In other words, we're, you know, just give you an example of what that's like. If I don't know how many Star Trek fans there are on the show tonight, but if you ever remember Star Trek and you remember the holograms where you would see them come up in the holograms, 
Well, that's the type of virtual reality technology that we're utilizing now. So students are going to have to be savvy. And think about it. Most of these students today, you know, they're um, did, uh, digital natives. And so they're going to be able to thrive in that environment where we're using that type of technology. But many boards of nursing across this country have already approved legislation to where they can utilize a percentage uh, of their clinical hours can be dedicated to simulation, can be substituted with simulation. That's not in every state. It can happen in every state, but not every state has legislation addressing it. But that's going to be really huge in the clinical setting. And also you're going to see more and more nursing programs that are going to be online. That's going to happen. It's already happened during COVID. Um, you know, we went completely virtual, our uni entire university for 18 months during COVID. And so you're going to see more of that, which is going to make it more available to people if they can do that online. But they are going to have to be savvy with the technology in order for that to happen. Well, that is, um, I'm a techie. Um, so I get excited about that. Uh, and I was getting ready to go on with my technology rants. I'm going to pause and not do that. I'm going to save you guys from geeking out. We have a question from Tracy Kirkland. Um, how can we develop pipelines in diverse communities in early years? And I think what she's alluding to is, you know, creating the opportunity for a more diverse workforce in nursing based on starting sooner. Any thoughts about that? I think one of the things that we're going to have to do is that we're really gonna have to um, develop some partnerships and some relationships within these communities and have some champions within those communities that are gonna really advocate for preparing our younger children. And I'm talking about seventh and eighth grade to begin thinking about their careers and what they want to do and really have uh, individuals. And, and this could be relationships with universities where they develop programs. And there are programs that exist. When, when I was at the University of Arkansas, there was a foundation out of Kansas City that focused on seventh and eighth graders and exposing them during the summer. They would spend their, most of their entire summer on college campuses, exposing them to different career opportunities and being able to do shadowing and experiencing those careers to really, first of all, let them know what's available to them. Many students don't even know what's available to them. And then once they knew what was available to them, many of those students, that foundation committed to being able to support them to go back to college. So I do think that we're going to have to cultivate those types of relationships and partnerships with foundations, with you know churches and communities. And we're gonna to have to think outside the box is what we're going to have to do because what we've done so far hasn't really worked. And so we're gonna to have to think about where those students are, where those children are, how do we get to them and how do we connect with them and be able to do that over the long term, not just a hit and miss, but a long term relationship in cultivating them through high school to get them to college. But I do think it's going to require some communities to come together and to commit to that. Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, Katie, I think um, Johnson and Johnson has a program, right? Um, what's that program called, Katie? Uh, Bridges. Is it Bridges to Employment? I believe is the name. Bridges to Employment. Johnson Johnson has a program in you know, if, to make a view of mind grabbing that, um, Johnson Johnson Bridges to Employment is, I'm 
some young ladies that we interviewed back in December, they're actually a part of that program. So that's a pretty cool one. Um, another question from Mr. Henry. Um, should nurses receive combat pay during COVID-19? Um, wow, that's one from, I think that's your husband. So combat pay, I don't know what that means, but I think you do. So please tell us. Well, I think that's a good question, but when I, I'm, I'm going to interpret what I think that means is I think that means that based on what they've had to encounter in the environments of working on the front lines for long hours and just all the critical work that they have to engage in, should they get some type of additional pay for that? And absolutely, I think that should be something we should consider. But here's the question. Who's going to pay that? Is a hospital going to be willing to pay that? Or is that going to be something that we expect that the government is going to pay? I, I think that's going to be the big question as to who's going to pay that beyond do they deserve it? Of course, I'm a nurse and I think they deserve it because I know the hard work that they do uh, day in and day out. But the big question is going to be who's going to pay it? Awesome. Awesome. Um, we have another question from Margaret. And awesome. This is definitely the TikTok audience, Katie. Because we have no shy people in the audience tonight. Ooh, the topic of nursing. One from Margaret. I'm a retired nurse. When I left the profession, the nurses coming in were more interested in going through the education and administration rather than the bedside nursing. However, COVID required nurses to be at the bedside more than they had been in the past. How are we going to keep nurses interested and excited about bedside? Good question. I think, you know, most of the students that come into nursing want to help people. That's what you hear students say all the time. They want to help people. And I think what we have to do is that we really have to role model to really demonstrate for them the value of bedside nursing. Uh, because that's what excited me the most. I mean, that's why I never thought of teaching because I loved being at the bedside. I love being with the patients. I love being able to make a difference in people's lives on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think that we're just going to have to value that. We're going to have to present it to our students. And we do that in our program. And most of all of our students that leave us and graduate, they're going to bedside jobs. They're going to work in the hospital, in the clinical setting. Uh, so, that is something that we as nurses need to continue to role model and put a high value on for our students so that they see the importance of that because that's not going to go away. Guess what? Because we're living longer and there's more of us and we're going to need the care and we're going to need nurses to take care of us. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome dynamic. I think we tapped into her passion tonight, people. As you see, Dr. Sharp McHenry is passionate about this. Now, Dr. Sharp, you know, typically people, they, they have a book that they're working on or a website that they're launching. You know, if the people would like to follow up with you, you know, after the show, we're going to produce notes to describe the show. Um, how should they reach out to you? I will provide an email address as to mm -hmm. where they can reach out to me. And as far as a book, you know what? I am working on something and I'll be happy to come back and share that with you all when that is ready. Uh, but I will leave my email address in the chat and I am open for anyone to reach out to me at any time. I'd be willing to answer any questions, be able to connect with you with any resources that might be of benefit to you. 
um, or just answer general questions if you're interested in nursing or anything else in regards to healthcare. And awesome. Email address. I just put that in the chat. I, I have a general question also, though. Um, Go ahead, Katie. I am listening to how enthusiastic you are and just, you know, there's just a lot of light that's coming out of you. And I can understand how it is that, you know, the two different women that pushed you into the bachelor's program and then encouraged you to get into um, the doctoral program. I can see what they, you know, obviously saw in you. And I'm curious as to whether you are a person that goes out and talks to young people and encourages them to get into the field of nursing. Absolutely, I do that. And not, not only do I, I do that, but I also mentor other individuals that are advancing their education uh, in uh, nursing or, or even in other careers, not just nursing. But one of the things that I've committed to is really being able to invest in others. See, I'm standing on the shoulders of those that have gone before me that have paved the way for me to be able to do what I'm doing today. And I am invested. And some of my mentees are on this call tonight. So I am committed to investing in other people and really pouring into them what others have poured into me to be able to help them to be all that God has designed them to be. Most of us never get tapped into that, but it is possible to tap into that. And it requires some work on our part to do that, but it's absolutely possible. And so, yes, I do do that. I talk to um, students, uh, high school students. I talk to college students. I talk to nurses that have already been in the profession and really grappling with, well, what are my next steps? What do I need to do next? And so I really try to help them define you know, what's the best path based on their skills and their experience and their background to help them to advance their career. And it's, that's amazing. I mean, you're, you're truly a, an example to all of us. And so thank you for being here tonight. It's, thank it's you been so wonderful. Much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Tonight, we've had a great discussion with Dr. Sharp McHenry. And you took us down the pathway and gave us insight into what it's like to not only be a nurse, but to be a person who seeks a career in nursing, to be a person who desires more. You gave us an example of your life and how the people surrounded you begin to pour into you and bless you. And you stayed obedient with that. But now that you have, let's say, arrived, you haven't stopped there. You're still giving, you're still pulling, you're still working, and you still have the passion for the bedside, for the patients, for the students, and we commend you and we thank you for sharing your time with us tonight at Southern Soul. Thank you very much, Dr. Sharp McHenry. Thank you, Calvin. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. So coming up next, next week, we have an awesome show for you. We are going to be talking about, people have often heard about Black Wall Street, but people out here on the East, that's all we know. Would you realize that there are more cities in Oklahoma that have experienced the things that they experienced at Black Wall Street? Coming up next week, we're going to have an awesome historian panel of five individuals that's going to take us through the stories of Wall Street. And not only Wall's Black Wall Street, but the black towns of Oklahoma 
what they experience and why that could have impact on the future of economic empowerment for African-Americans. Thank you guys for coming up tonight. But if you want to hang out, please hang out for our truly DJ Afro Sheen. She's going to take us out with a few songs. Look forward to seeing you guys tonight. And don't forget, the show last week was so highly anticipated that we've actually published it. So if you go to our website, southernsoulthursdays.com, you'll get the chance to see Pandemic Impact, the mother-daughter duo who are changing the healthcare industry one brand at a time. Awesome interview, awesome lady. Check it out. It's published now at southernsoulthursdays.com. Thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show. Join us weekly at soullivestream.com. If you're joining us live, we'll take a quick music break and then come back for a discussion with the audience.